This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today I'm speaking with Deanna Bublitz, the founder of Deer Camp. Having someone that is truly representative of you and your community is going to be the most important thing out there to feel comfortable. It's a very vulnerable activity. Deer Camp is trying to build a more diverse community of hunters by attracting underrepresented groups into the activity. Deanna, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So let's start with where did you grow up and what did your parents do? I grew up in Minnesota, just outside the Twin Cities. Okay. And my dad was a, like a city planner of sorts. And then my mom was a, uh, she started as a nurse and moved her way up through management and did a lot of uh, nurse managing of surgery centers and then went on to consulting at a higher level and wound up topping out at some sort of VP level. I don't even recall the title. And you are a research scientist of a sort, in addition to Deer Camp. We'll get to Deer Camp in a moment, but give us kind of your professional bio here for a moment. I started not knowing what I wanted to do. I can't say I still know what I want to do when I grow up, but I started as a wildlife major in undergrad. I went to school in Wisconsin, Stevens Point, which I think is like very similar to UM here Mm -hmm. in the programming. Took a circuitous route, wound up wanting to study infectious diseases. Oh, so that rolled me into grad school and I went to grad school out in New York um, on Long Island at Stony Brook. Mm-hmm. And then five years out there was great. Love the East Coast, but not as much as I love big, wide op- outdoor spaces. Yeah. So I took the first position I could out here. And so I took a postdoc down at the Rocky Mountain Labs okay. um, with the NIH in Hamilton and did that for a few years, bounced around and then uh, landed at the university working for John McCutcheon former guest of the show. That's right, friend of the show. Shout out to John. That was a great lab to work in. And then most recently I was in uh, Dr. Patrick Secor's lab. Okay. So that's studying viruses that infect bacteria and how we can use that perhaps for like therapeutics or preventatives for bacterial infections. Awesome. Important work. Let's talk about, before we get to deer camp, let's talk about your entry into hunting. Like what was your journey to become a hunter? So I'm what they refer to as an adult onset hunter. <laughs> okay. Is that a uh, clinical uh, diagnosis? <laughs> yes. Yep. Okay. I'm not sure who coined it. I know that uh, backcountry hunters and anglers use it a lot. Sure. It was kind of when I moved here. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I grew up in a very urban, suburban area, so right. guns weren't really a prominent thing. It wasn't something I thought about a lot, so I wasn't necessarily afraid of them, but I also just had never really used them. Mm-hmm. And my first landlord in Hamilton, when I had no friends, and he was, he would live in the upstairs of my house. I had the downstairs. He only lived there once in a while. And he was bored and asked me to go trap shooting with him. Okay. And I had never done that. And it terrified me on a number of levels, mostly just embarrassing myself in front of a bunch of old men with a gun. But I also had no friends. So I decided to go. Yeah. And he loaned me his wife's uh, 20 gauge shotgun. And it turned out I was actually pretty good at nice. trap shooting. Yeah. So that was a confidence boost. And that's pretty good and, and enjoyed it as well. Yeah. It was really satisfying to hit these little clay discs out yeah. of the air um, and just kind of watch them smash into smithereens. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So that was a lot of fun and kind of a, I mean, I didn't own a gun. So, that expensive part didn't factor in, but outside of that, a pretty cheap thing to go do. You know, yeah. a few bucks for a box of shells, a few bucks to be out on the range for a couple minutes, and yeah, it was a good time. That started 
the gears ticking, thinking about basically it just led down a slippery slope of thinking about how I consume meat, where it comes from. Yes. I did not grow up on a farm. I never had to do the dirty work behind that. Mm -hmm. I was finally living in a space where there was a lot of access to being able to hunt your own meat. And so I thought I would give it a try and see if I could do it. And if I couldn't, maybe I should reevaluate what I'm doing with my with my diet and if I should keep eating meat. So as a as a beginner, you've had some shooting experiences. You apparently know some folks with guns. Like, what do you do next? That was the big thing was knowing people who had the equipment and the expertise. Otherwise, I I think I would have just stalled out. So I had one very good friend who lived up in the Elberton area. Mm -hmm. She was a friend from summer camp in Minnesota, and she and her husband are just big time hunters. All they do. Great. Tons of equipment. And they were so kind and generous with their time and their equipment, loaned it all to me, took me out, showed me the ropes. And without them, I would not be a hunter Mm -hmm. at all. And yeah, so they took me on my first few hunts. They were definitely unsuccessful, but we saw animals and, you know, got all jittery when I thought about taking a shot. Had a good walk in the woods. Absolutely. But what I learned was that I could take a shot. Mm-hmm. I missed by a long shot, but I was able to pull the trigger. And that was that was my one defining moment in that, I, you know, I wasn't sure once I got out there, could I actually pull a trigger on yeah. the animal? Okay. And so then that made me want to, you know actually be successful and keep keep going at it. Sure. And so roughly how many years ago was that? So that was, gosh, I've been here about 10 years. So that was probably about nine years ago. I think it was about my first year here. And I wasn't successful with harvesting anything until probably seven years ago. Okay. okay. Took me a couple of years to get there. Yeah. And, and, and at what stage do you sort of feel the confidence to go out on your own? That started much more recently. I think I've been hunting alone probably only in the last four or five years. Okay. And that just was a gradual, a very gradual thing. I think once I'd been successful a few times with people that could show me how to clean the animal in the field, how to quarter it if you need to do multiple trips carrying it out, and and then just getting to know the area that I was going to hunt better so I could do it by myself and know that I could... If I hunt in one direction, a drag out's going to be level or downhill, and I can do that on my own. Or I know that I only have to drive 30 minutes to get cell signal, and, and I have people that will come in and help me, mm-hmm. something like that. So, yeah, I was getting to know the area and just feeling like my skills were at a level that that I could could take them out on their own. And, and beyond the, the sort of comfort with the skill, culturally, how did you kind of experience entering into this new community? I mean, it sounds like the, the friend point from your friend's Friends from Alberton were a key access point. But beyond that, what was your experience of the community? That's much more mixed. It can be really great and and very strange all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So being a you know solo woman in the woods is often a novelty when you run into people. And that can feel threatening in some ways because you're out in the middle of nowhere and often everyone is armed. Yeah, I've never had a moment like that. Everybody's usually been very welcoming. In fact, my, my first buck that I harvested by myself ran into this father-daughter duo that helped me clean it and haul it out and they were just wonderful people but yeah his first comment to me when I came up over the hill was uh where's your husband so that's you know the general attitude is that you are you know as a woman attached to some guy that's out there and you're helping him or he's helping you right and then when I said I was alone he was 
super stoked because he was out there with his daughter and sure teaching her the ropes. Yeah, and yeah. love that there was this you know gal out there on her own doing this. But in general, when you you know was looking out in the vast communities online or in real life, it's still very male dominated. Right. Right. Looks very the same. Yeah. And so even though I've had really great male mentors, it's a different feeling when I go out with a guy versus when I've gone out with women. Mm -hmm. I just, and it's not even a conscious thing. And it's not that I feel bad or that they're doing, they're they're patronizing or something. It's just something changes in my brain and I kind of default to following them. Yeah. Whereas with a, when I've gone out with my female friends, I'm much more present interesting, and much more comfortable. Yeah. Well, we'll circle back around to that as we get into deer camp. But what we're trying to get to now is where, when's the genesis of, of deer camp in this process for you? Yeah, that I mean, that was really COVID. For a while, I had been thinking about just the idea of being outsiders and hunting and, and that the hunting community is still very male dominated. And then COVID came and I had extra time to sit at home and percolate on various ideas And one of them was that I was able to reflect on how I got started. I would not have gotten started had I not had friends that could give me everything. Access. Yep. Yep. Because we have a lot of avenues for mentorship in Montana especially, but Mm -hmm. I think even nationwide. But there's a really high economic burden to get into this, uh, this activity. Yeah, so maybe take a moment and lay that out. Like, what does a person need for the non-hunter in the audience? What does a person need, and like, what's sort of the minimum entry fee of a sort to get into this? I mean, it's quite a spread, but if you do not have friends or family that can just, you know, give you hand-me-downs or something, you're looking at, you know, at the bare minimum, some quiet clothing. You don't necessarily have to have the most tactical camo, but you know, if you do go the tactical end of things, you're looking at a hundred to two hundred dollars. Per piece. Per piece of clothing. So like a nice shirt, some pants. You're looking another couple hundred for boots. The lower end of some kind of quiet, warm weather camo gear, it's still going to be, you know, 30, 40, 50 bucks for a shirt. Another like 70, 80 for a pair of pants. You're going to need some kind of a pack. That's going to be anywhere from maybe 50 bucks for a little fanny pack on up to, you know, a thousand bucks for a nice fancy one. Mm Mm-hmm. You're going to need your weapon, so bow or, or gun, and that's going to be hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, depending on what you're doing. If you're getting a gun, you're also getting a scope. That's another few hundred. Then ammo, that's 60 bucks a box, sure, probably on sure. average, 40 to 60 bucks. And then there are all the yeah, other things. That. Yep, you've got binos, you've got your snacks, you've got your blaze orange. It's, yeah, it's a lot. So you're looking at, you know, a couple grand to get and fully out. Right. Yep. Buy your licenses, which are for a, a resident Montana hunter, relatively cheap, but that's still another, you know. Something. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's not cheap. So there are significant barriers to entry, and I'm sure that's part of the the, the, the deer camp ethos. Like, tell us about the organization and what's, what its mission is. Yeah. So when I first started thinking about it, it was kind of that, like, let's do everything. Do the, Do mentorships, do workshops, offer gear, all that. And then, you know, started to think more about one, what I was capable of doing as, as like one person. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. And two, what was already out there, because I don't want to reinvent the wheel. And I would much rather collaborate with groups that are doing something that is like a sister product yeah. of, of what I want to offer. And the real need that struck me was the gear aspect. Mm. And so I've really focused on trying to offer some sort of gear library so that people can come and borrow stuff and get started. Because it, why would you sink 
a you know, $1,000, $2,000 on this gear if you don't even know you can pull the trigger at the end of the day. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, you have to kind of confront that moment of, am I up for this? Yep. And yeah, that's a big investment if you're not. Yeah. And there's, you know, some of those things you can resell, but there's not a big market for, you know, used camo and all right. of that. So and this is a way that, yeah, you can test the waters and then you'll be brought into, a you know, a network of people too that can also help you find a group to do mentorship through workshops through or, or myself even sure. that would take folks out. So you're trying to accumulate a library of a sort of, of gear. And is there an educational component as well? Yeah. So to start... Probably what we're looking at, you know, while while the gear supply is low, um, you know, there's always a risk that things will just walk off and not come back. Yep. And so to begin, our plan is to offer this library to people that are either being taken out as a mentee with myself or a member of Hellgate Hunters and Anglers. So okay. I should shout out Hellgate Hunters and Anglers. I reached out to them basically just to run a gear donation event with them, and they went a huge step further in trying to bring me on as as a partner entity with awesome. them and so to help me store stuff on their site so it's not all just living in my basement right mm-hmm. now so if they'd go out with a member of hellgate hunters that'd be another avenue or there are a lot of other groups in town like venery that run um, learn to hunt workshops right, right and so outfit their mentees with stuff from our library as it grows then then it can be more of like a if you're familiar with the tool library in town, more of a, you know, membership situation sure. where you come in and you can just borrow stuff and, you know, we'll accept some loss essentially. And hopefully most of it comes back. We'll be back to my conversation with Deanna Bublitz after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hi, this is Steve Albini, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm speaking with Deanna Bublitz about Deer Camp. Let's sort of revisit the cultural piece. You've got these these folks now coming to you for help, for assistance, and in, in breaking into this activity, whether it's through the gear, whether it's connecting with, with other educational folks or whatever. Talk about the experience of those people that are coming in and how are you able to attract traditionally underrepresented groups into hunting? I think the biggest part is just being genuine and then recognizing my own limitations. I want it to be a welcoming environment, but also knowing that I felt most comfortable learning from women. I know that even if I'm bringing in folks that are underrepresented, say from a a population of color or a queer individual, I don't personally represent those communities. And so mm-hmm. they, even though they would be welcome here, they may not feel super comfortable or as comfortable as they could out in the woods with me. Yeah. And I, I want to recognize that and honor that. And so I also want to try as this movement grows to bring in people that would be able to represent those communities to actually be the mentors. Because I do think that having someone that is truly representative of you and your community is going to be the most important thing out there to feel comfortable. It's a very vulnerable activity. Yeah. Talk more about that. Like you, you, you alluded to it a little bit in your, in your first outing when you run into that, that, that father daughter pair, if you had other experiences or like, can you describe that interface a little bit more viscerally? So I've never had any direct, you know, confrontations or things that made me feel uncomfortable with a certain individual. But Mm -hmm. I have been out in the woods where there had to have been hunter hazing in that there were just a lot of wild shots happening 
all around where I was. And it was, I mean, pretty terrifying. I just sort of like dropped off the side of a hill and walked back to my car and left. So the presumption is some folks saw you out there and Mm -hmm. they're like, we're just going to fire our guns all around and scare this this woman. Yep. Either they felt territorial that this was their spot. They didn't want another hunter there or they were anti-hunters that didn't want any hunters there hard to say in those situations you know thinking about other groups just even being out there as a mentor and mentee it's a very intimate experience and and you're out there with weapons and so if you don't fully trust someone or if you you know feel just the slightest bit of uncomfortable around them it's going to shift your focus and you're not going to be focused on hunting anymore and you're not going to enjoy yourself and you're not going to return to that activity and be an invested hunter And so you've noticed that effect in your own experience. Now that you're bringing in other women, other other folks into the into the activity, what's been their experience? I so I've mostly interacted just given my natural community here. I've interacted a lot with you know just a lot of young women in town, Mm -hmm. and then I've also I mean one of the great friends that I've made through all of this is uh, a person who founded Queers and Camo out of Bozeman. So I've also helped run some online workshops with the Queers and Camo group and that's just a group that's trying to bring more queer people into hunting yep absolutely and in both cases there's just been a lot of excitement and enthusiasm to have like-minded people even if they aren't in the same state so speaking for queers and camo that one there's a lot of a lot of people all over the country that are just chatting with each other but finding each other and being able to share these experiences and then more specifically here in montana the women i've chatted with pretty much everybody says the same thing i've thought about this I've wanted to go out and just see if I can, you know, get my own food, be a little more self-sufficient, but I have no idea where to start. And I know there are these groups out there that do it, but I don't necessarily see myself in those groups. Sure. And so they, you know, want to come out and do something. Yeah. So you could imagine this as a wonderful substrate for bringing people together through shared experience, through shared activity. And maybe kind of finding common ground amongst people that have very different life experiences and perspectives and and so forth. You could also see it being uh, a situation where, you know, folks are territorial and there's reactants. Like, you know, we don't need you in our woods, that that sort of mentality. Um, What's been your experience uh, of those dynamics? That's definitely there. Again, I have not experienced it directly, but it is more of a, I guess, a the broader dialogue in the hunting community that I have experienced. And and it is this fight between wanting people out there because the bulk of our conservation dollars, at least from the federal government, come from taxes on ammo and guns and fishing rods and all of that. And so you need hunters and anglers out there to produce that money. But then you have folks that say there are already too many out there. They're all in my, you know, they're in my honey hole and I don't want anybody else out here. Why are we trying to recruit more hunters? And so there's just that battle that's just sort of broad across the hunting community. And and then you boil it down to sort of the old guard and the new guard. And I, I love change. I think it can be hard, but mm-hmm. I definitely want to embrace all of the different ways that hunting can look and all the different hunting communities. And I think that sort of diversity only makes something stronger if you have more people invested in the outdoors and spending their time and money there, then you're just going to have a better experience overall. But there is that push and you do have territorial sentiments among people who have, you know, feel like they staked their claim 50 years ago on this access point. Sure. 
and don't want anybody else out there. And have you sort of had to navigate any direct conflict? I have, outside of that, you know, Wild West moment, I have not. But there have been, there's just been other kind of gross moments out hunting on on various parcels where, you know, they're just people being reckless and it's not not necessarily being territorial, but it does mar the the hunter, I guess, as seen by the broader public when you see people not acting ethically. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. So let's shift gears a little bit. A previous guest of the show, Darcy Chenoweth, does um, avalanche education for women. And we had an interesting conversation about how, you know, an all-male ski touring group sort of functions, an all-women ski touring group functions, and then a mixed group, and and, and sort of how behaviors change and decision-making changes. Given your experience, have you noticed, um, like, what's your experience of hunting with like groups and hunting with groups of different people? What I've witnessed for, you know, kind of your typical guy group, there's just, for one, a lot of them have more experience. Like there's just a lot of the women I run into have not grown up in hunting families or they did and they didn't go out. So there is already just like a baseline experience that these men have. But then there's also a baseline confidence that they just seem to naturally have. I was out antelope hunting and I remember being told it's my first antelope hunt and being told by a guy like, yeah, they're just over that hill. You just got to, you just got to pop up and shoot. Yep. And I'm too methodical. And I had, at this point, had never harvested anything. And I was like, I can't. I can't just pop up and bam, yeah. shoot. Like, I need to pop up and think about it. And yeah. And and that was just the different. Like, he had, you know, hunted for so long and with just had that level of confidence. And that was his way of teaching was just, just what he would do. So sure. naturally, you can do it. Yeah. And so I think that you see more of that in, like, an all-male group and sometimes in a mixed group. In mixed groups... I've been fortunate with most of the men that I've gone hunting with. They are they're patient, they're not patronizing, and so they they've been very helpful in wanting to actually build my skill level. Where I think it falls apart is that I at least I have defaulted to just kind of like the quote unquote girl mode or something yeah, like Yeah, you the, mentioned that, like the follower mode. Yeah, and so, you know, he'll be leading walking through the woods and I'll notice, oh, I'm not actually really paying attention to where I am and I'm I'm just kind of waiting for him to point at something for me to do something. Mm -hmm. And then when I've gone out with my girlfriends, I'm I'm there and I'm watching and I'm listening to everything and I'm I'm smelling for elk or deer and and I'm just, yeah, I'm a very active participant in that activity. Talk about how you are actually getting the word out and bringing people into the family, so to speak. The biggest forum has been either just word of mouth through my friends. Mm -hmm. So that's where I started was, you know, mass emailing people and saying, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. If you or anyone else you know is interested in this, please email me. I did make a website so that I could have a formal presence out there, but I mostly communicate through Instagram. Okay. That's my biggest platform. And then... um, What is your Instagram handle? It is deercamp underscore MT for Montana. And yeah, and the website is deercampmt.org. And then the other way is just getting involved with other conservation groups. That's been another big avenue. So I already mentioned Hellgate Hunters and Anglers. They've been a huge help. And then I'm also an ambassador for Montana Wildlife Federation. Great. And so that's been a good relationship in that, you know, I push out their events and then they help advertise for my own and then building other 
partnerships and just, you know, friendships within mm-hmm. the hunting community here. And so they share my posts on Instagram and, and whatnot. And just being open to talking to everyone because, like, there are a lot of very contentious issues right now going on at yes. the regulation level and still trying to keep the peace. So, I, you know, I've reached out to our Region 2 commissioner quite a bit. She's been – she gave me a bunch of gear She'll share my events on her Instagram, and that's been a really wonderful help to have that kind of support, you know, regardless of where people land on on some of the decisions being made there. Yeah, we won't put you on the spot no. for those <laughs> yeah. issues during this conversation. Um, but I would like to know, like, if 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 you're if somebody in the audience is sort of feeling like they might be in that position you were in when you were living down in Hamilton, but they don't have a landlord who hunts or has a gun or wants to invite them out shooting. How does somebody get started? What would you say the best first move would be for the for the rank novice? You know, if you don't have any friends that you know of that are hunting, because that I think is your that's the first avenue. If that is not available to you, if you're in Montana, you're very lucky because there are just so many groups that you can reach out to. And even if they aren't going to even if the first person you meet isn't going to directly mentor you, you're going to be in a network that you can find ones. I mean, backcountry hunters and anglers is you know, sort of the first and foremost, like mm-hmm. they've just got a huge network for women centric groups. Venery is another group in town right. that focuses on getting women out in the outdoors and, and teaching them how to hunt. Mm-hmm. Even starting with the various conservation groups, the Montana Wildlife Federation is a big one. And they, you know, they've got a lot of uh, volunteer events. And through that, most people involved with those volunteer events, if even if it's, you know, weed pulling, almost all of them are hunters or anglers. And you're going to meet people and you just start talking to them and they'll sure. say like, oh, yeah, I know a good place to hunt in that region. Or, you know, my cousin lives there. They take you out, this, yep. that and the other. Gosh, speaking of that, I mean, one thing that I find really complicated and intimidating and confusing is the whole permitting process, getting yeah. your tags. Yeah. I suppose some of your partner organizations kind of focus on some of that education. But that's an intimidating piece for a newcomer. Oh, it totally is. You know, it's very easy just to buy your general license. Yeah. And I would say if you're a new hunter just do that. You know, don't, don't, don't yeah, don't worry about the special permits right away. Cause there's a chance you'll be super lucky and you'll get that, you know, giant bull elk right off the bat. But chances are you're going to be unsuccessful your first year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you did get that bull elk, you might be a little yeah. overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. And you may have peaked early. So, yeah, exactly. yeah. so I would say start with just, just get your over the counter general license. I typically get uh, the sportsman's license, which is slightly discounted. It's got your upland bird, your elk, your deer. You can get it with or without bear and uh, your fishing license and all that. Sure. And then once you decide that this is an activity you really want to commit to, then it can be it can be daunting, but also kind of fun to look at the maps. I highly recommend just getting to know your area biologist. They're they're always overwhelmed, but they're almost always willing to take a phone call and talk to you. Yeah, um, and try to help you, especially navigate some of our other programs for accessing private land. I'd say on this side of the state, that's an important thing to consider. Sure, looking into the block management program and seeing where you can access some critters that that aren't on public land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is not an easy task. It is complicated. There are lots of boundaries and they can move depending on on what happens in, you know, any given season setting. Starting with the general, you have a lot of access opportunities with just a general license. Super. Great place to start. Dana, I'm so uh, excited about this project that you're that you're underway with. Uh, it's important. Just best of luck. And uh, let's get an update down the road. Awesome. Thank you so much.
Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. VTO, Jeff Amet, and John Wicks made our music. Editing by Nick Mott. Social media by AJ Williams. And Jeff Neese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.